You suppose there's time? Sure, there's still time to visit our famed snack bar, where we offer a wide variety of good things to eat and drink to top off your evening. Want a suggestion? How about enjoying a treat we're famous for? A refreshing cup of smooth, chocolatey, good Jubilee hot chocolate. Such a comforting, special kind of drink, and a favorite with folks of all ages. Hot chocolate goes down real easy this time of night, makes you feel warm and altogether wonderful. Bet you've never tasted hot chocolate quite as good as we make it. Enjoy a cup tonight. I know the riches in your eyes. What are you trying to Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, it's Nick Vance, Paranormal Futures on all social media. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. Not only do you get cool perks, but you make this podcast as well as the Cinemadness movie possible. All right, Jim, what are we getting into today? Well, we have a special guest today. You may know her as Darcy the Mail Girl on a little show on Shudder called The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. But that's not all. She's also a contributor to Fangoria, the host to the soon-to-be-resurrected famous TNA for Full Moon Features, as well as the Geek Talk podcast. Please welcome to The Void, Diana Prince. Diana, how are you doing today? I'm amazing. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We're really excited to have you on here. Now, the main reason I asked you to be on the show was because you're working on a very incredible task, which is in the process of archiving and digitizing countless hours of Joe Bob's drive-in theater, Monster Vision episodes, and other rarities. But before we get into all that, I guess we should start in the beginning, so to speak. Diana, how did you get into horror and cult films? Oh, gosh. Just, um... well, I guess my dad was really into them when I was younger. He's a big Stephen King fan, and he was always watching horror but kicking me out of the room <laughs> so i was very curious about it and when i was able to i'd sneak in and watch and it scared the heck out of me when i was little and i i kept trying to act- actually watch the movies and there's a reason why they wouldn't let me like i would not sleep the, the first one i ever remember trying to see was nightmare on elm street and just i literally screamed and cried and left the lights on for like a year it was just traumatizing but when I finally got through my very, very first one, I felt like such a big accomplished person, which was Friday the 13th, uh, final chapter. And it was, I watched it because I had a huge crush on Corey Feldman. And I was like, I have to watch it and find out if he's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I did and it had boobs and it was like all this like adrenaline. I felt so strong and powerful after I got through it. And I was like, holy heck. I had been missing out. So I just, after that, I went and watched every Friday the 13th. And then from there, I was just like, well, what else can I watch? So I just became a fan from there. <laughs> yeah. And plus Crispin Glover and that amazing dance. Darling trust. I know. It's like, there's just so much magic in that, in that movie. 
<laughs> now, besides Elm Street and the Friday the 13th series, what were some of your other favorite films you were that you watched growing up that you really liked? Ooh, um, gosh, there's just so many. I I just gobbled up anything I could find, you know, just any anything, anything that came on HBO, anything that came I could find a tape to and just anything. Joe Bob was big into that. Like it just stuff I'd never heard of he'd play. It's like, what? what is this? And even though it was edited, I was like, wow. The first one I remember watching with him was Ghoulies. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Like, what else is like Ghoulies? And I go from there to Critters. And it's just like this whole gateway thing where it's like, oh, I like this. What's like it? And I'd just jump, jump, jump. And there wasn't a whole lot I, I didn't like, honestly. Like, I watched everything. Were you big at going to the video store and renting stuff? Were you also taping things off a of TV or duping like VHS? Not that that's legal. But. <laughs> so I couldn't do any of that until I was way older. Like I could never. The first time I was able to rent a movie by myself was like, I don't know, 20 or something. <laughs> just because I had a very uh, sheltered life. Everything had to be sneaky. So it was just wherever I could find it. Often it'd be like on HBO. Whatever come on HBO and I could sneak is what I saw, you know. But once I was able to, I yeah, I got a job at Blockbuster just so I could be around all the, the videos and – I got the job because I told them I'd go in there and just like stare at all, especially the horror and just like in wonderment and want to just have, just be around all of it. And I really just only paid attention to the horror section when I worked there. And, and anytime I would say, can you wreck something? I'm like, yes, here you go. <laughs> Invisible Maniac is great. Have it. <laughs> Somewhere Adam Rifkin is really happy that oh, you God, said I that. I love it. And I definitely tried to give it to every person that asked me <laughs> And every time we had a new like cheesy horror or TNA or any of that, my manager would always be like, here, this one's for you. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. I I applied to work at Blockbuster and they would not hire me. See, they are they are strict. They just really liked my my enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, I I guess I wasn't very enthusiastic. I thought like, hey, I like films. They're like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> it was probably my favorite job. Maybe even still, because it's a little high pressure. Blockbuster is just pure fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do is like recommend movies. Yeah. Back on the shelf. And I'd have always something good playing on the TV and just stare at it all day and ignore people. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just the register's over there. Go. <laughs> Check yourself out. Exactly. <laughs> at what point did you realize you wanted to do something more within the realm of horror? Like, you know. Because you, I think you did your kinky horror website at one, at, or it might be still active. It is still active. I just, I can't devote as much attention as, to it as I used to because like everything I, all my writing time now goes to Fangoria instead of my own site. But I'm going to try to update that with more just like pictures and videos and stuff so it's faster. But I've been running, I've been running that since I was maybe like 2008-ish. I guess, because I was doing, honestly, porn. And um, I just wanted to have an outlet to talk about horror because I, I love – my goal is always, honestly, to be like TNA slash porn slash horror. Like, let me figure out how to do that with no real specific goals. It's just like, that's what I'm interested in. Let me figure that out. So I've kind of just been doing whatever came up. And my life was so consumed by that career that I was just like, just literally for fun, I just threw up a blog and just wrote dumb shit that I never expect anybody to pay attention to but like some people did and that kept me going and I just kept writing about it and 
that was cool. That's honestly Joe Bob. Part of what got me the job with Joe Bob. He when I met him, he said he read my blog. I was like, what? <laughs> you you do not. <laughs> That's pressure. Now I have to actually like update it often. <laughs> Speaking of Joe Bob, how'd you meet him originally? So he had um, kind of given up on the Joe Bob persona, like completely, and was uh, touring to support this rocket science book, like a literal rocket science book that he wrote. I can't remember the name of it right now. Oh, Eccentric Orbits. And he was having a... uh, like a book signing in San Francisco. So I was like, that's close enough for me. So I flew from LA and went to, I just really wanted to meet him. I'd always wanted to. And I really wanted to talk to him and say, why aren't you doing anything now? Like we need you back. Like do YouTube, do anything. Like I just wanted to find out his story and try to encourage him. And so I went there and dressed up like the male girl because I kind of thought there'd be a bunch of Joe Bob fans there and there weren't. It was like a bunch of scientists and like really serious people. And I walked in late because I just got off the plane (laughs) and every one of those like really serious people turned around and saw me looking really silly in my male girl outfit. And I felt so bad, but you know, I was like, I'm here to see Joe Bob, sorry. And uh I, I was kind of just going to leave without talking to him because I, I thought maybe I'd embarrass him because even he looked all serious. He had his glasses on and he's like, blah, 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 science. I'm like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but the people knew how excited I was, like the, the audience there, and they kind of like pushed me towards him. Like, you have to talk to him. You have to talk to him. I'm like, fine. And so I did. And I was like shaking and nervous the whole time. And I apologized. I was like, I'm so sorry. I thought this was going to be very Joe Bob centric. He's like, no, like he was super kind and just really nice about it. And signed my book. I DM'd him the next day. I was like, thank you for being so nice, whatever. And I just started talking to him through that and just got to say all the stuff I was too scared to say in person about like, where's Joe Bob? How can we get you back? Like anything, what can we do? And uh, it just went from there. And we kind of talked long distance friends for like two years. And he kept saying, at the time for Joe Bob's over, like people have Google, they don't need me anymore, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I kept trying to tell him like, have a podcast, have YouTube, have a blog, have anything. Like we just want anything from you. You don't even understand like how much you meant to us, which he really didn't at that time. And then so kind of in that time, the people who are now our, our producers and I guess the director too, they kind of came up to him as like, can we pitch this to Shutter on your behalf? And he's like, sure, why not? Because <laughs> he just always didn't. His his way of explaining it is that he will meet anybody for free lunch and never expects it to go anywhere. So he's like, where are we having lunch? <laughs> and expected to never hear from them again. But it actually worked out because the original guy from Shutter, who's not there anymore, but he was an old school Joe Bob fan too. So he really wanted to make it happen. And so he was like, huh? <laughs> really surprised that something was actually going forward. And so we were supposed to just do this one-off pilot, or he was. And he said, I've always had a male girl. I need a male girl. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's kind of how all that started, I guess. Does that explain it? <laughs> that perfectly explained <laughs> Now, when you, it was the first thing you did was the marathon, correct? Yeah. So that was supposed to be – he never really got a good – goodbye like as I'm 
restoring all these old tapes. I'm seeing like at the end, they were so mean to him. There was like a new person at TNT that like treated him like shit, which is a lovely story. So I should ask him about that. Anyway, you could tell they were trying to phase him out. They changed the whole thing and it basically just faded away. It just went away. Like one day we turned it on, there's no more Joe Bob and we never knew what happened to him. So this was, the idea was to have, they wanted to do like a 56 hour, like all weekend long marathon, which would have been great, but that didn't end up working out. But it was supposed to be like a big goodbye for his his old school fans to like say all the stuff he'd wanted to say, didn't get a chance to. And so definitely, yeah, I was definitely down for that. We all kind of like the funding fell through. Everybody worked for free. We're all just there because we loved him and we wanted to put this out to people. And it's so many people tuned in and it was amazing it was amazing to get to show them that see i told you people miss you dude <laughs> and then so the next day they're like hey let's talk about actually even that night as it was happening he's like let's talk tomorrow about maybe making this an ongoing thing we're like what <laughs> that's crazy okay <laughs> so it was just it was a really cool night and even if it had just been that one night it would have been amazing that he got his his goodbye you know i mean i was it just unexpected for everyone involved that like it just blew up like a day? Cause I remember like seeing Twitter as it was going down and the love that was pouring yes, out. It was amazing. It was absolutely unexpected. I had no idea if anybody would care or watch and I just hope so. And the Twitter and the way the social media is, was never a planned thing. It's just because the feed screwed up from so many people trying to log in. I was just like, I could see that they were trying to work on it and fix it, but no one else knew. Like they just saw like a black screen or whatever. So I was just going on every social that I had and was just like, hold on, you guys, it's coming. Like I promise they're working on it. And from there, we just kept finding people and we just started random hashtags to, to see who was out there and who was watching. And everybody started just like watching together and telling their stories about Joe Bob. And that's how like this whole like mutant fam kind of thing happened. Cause everybody was just being really, cause there was a long lull before we didn't have anything happening while we we're just waiting. So everybody was telling these in-depth stories of what monster vision and Joe Bob had meant to them. And we were all, none of us knew that at the time. We all kind of thought we were just these lonely outsiders watching on our own, but it turns out there were a bunch of us out there <laughs> that now with social can find each other and, interact in a way that that is very cool and that wasn't possible before that's amazing it's really amazing <laughs> how has um working on the show changed your life for you it has made me come out of my comfort zones a lot it's definitely not something i'm used to i'm incredibly shy um and actually at the time when we started i was severely depressed i had just gone through a whole bunch of shit. And I hadn't talked to somebody, anybody for like almost a year. The first time I, I actually over a year, I, I don't want to get into all kinds of sad, serious shit, but um, he, that's part of what Joe, Joe Bob and I were friends about. He was one of the few people I communicated with while I was in that really bad place. And so coming out of that, coming out of my house and trying to speak in front of people was just really, really hard for me, but I did it to, to help him. And I keep trying now because it, it has become this like I care about it so much with my heart that I try to manifest that or, or, or show that in my actual work on camera, even though that's hard. And besides that, like I actually had like a very serious boyfriend that like supported me and stuff before I started, but he saw how much time it took and with traveling and there's so much behind the scenes that, that I put into it. And he just was like, it's kind of 
that show or me. And so it's like, okay. So like I had to move out of that house and I'm just, it changed a lot. (laughs) My whole life is very different than it was in 2018, but in a good way, I think. (laughs) Because I think as of now, and you might not agree with this, I think you're just as beloved as Joe Bob is when it comes to like online and conventions and that kind of stuff. Oh, that's sweet. But definitely there's, there's no comparison. Joe Bob is like, He's just, he's an icon and people love the shit out of him. And if people just don't hate me, then I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think anyone watching the show hates you. Oh God. I got so much hate mail. Like in season two, I was just a wreck because between season, like season one, people were fucking brutal. I, and I, and the male girl, I have to read all of it. They're writing to Joe while I'm saying this fucking bitch, like she's horrible. Like get her off the show. I'm canceling Shutter if she stays on the show. Like I hate her. She's so ugly. She's so gross. She's so stupid. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Writing Shutter saying I'm, I'm I'm not subscribing anymore. You have to cancel her. People didn't like my past. They didn't like they just didn't like me. And I'm like, God, y'all, I'm like trying. <laughs> so that got in my head for a, a while for sure. And I quit like 500 times. And <laughs> Chobot will never let me actually quit. So he that's part of the comfort zone things. Like just keep going, even when you feel like you can't. You know. And and Chobot's very much like that. He'd rather everybody just keep improving and doing their best and be absolutely perfect. Like he's so patient. So he's like a dad for real. Like he's just, he's so positive and has just the best perspective. Like I'll go in with the most negative attitude and be like, I'm the worst. I screwed everything up. He's like, no, you're doing great. You're doing your best. Trying is what matter and stuff like that. I'm like, God damn it, Mr. Rogers. Why are you, why are you like this? You won't let me feel bad for myself for five minutes. (laughs) In a way, he is the horror Mr. Rogers. He so really is. And I, I don't even know if people that just see him on screen see that. He's like even more so behind the scenes. He's just literally the kindest, most caring person I know, I think. But I will say just not to get too much on like the toxic fan base that's out there in horror and stuff. But like I feel like in just even people just like to complain about shit, even though it doesn't matter. And like. I'll just say this. If anyone's going to complain about you being on the show, they just shut the fuck up. Thank you. I've kind of gotten to that point. It's like you you can't let it fuck with you forever. You know what I mean? Like there's nobody that does anything that's not going to get criticized. So fuck them. Like I'm doing my best. Joe Bob likes me here. I know I help even if you don't see it. So fuck it. I'm here. Deal. (laughs) That's amazing. Speaking of Joe Bob, we're going to get into the Main reason I wanted to bring you on was to talk about the um, Lost Drive-In Patreon. Do you want to talk about what that is exactly? Uh, sure. You explained it really well, though. <laughs> but he owned um, everything he did. He It was through his production company. So he had the rights to all of it, like Monster Vision, Drive-In Theater. He, he owned all of that. And he's just had it sitting in various forms of media in various storage sheds and stuff for all this time. And I said, why aren't you doing anything with it? He's like, well, it has no value if there's no movies. I can't get all the movie rights. I'm like, dude, (laughs) people want to watch it even without the movies, trust. And it took me a long time to convince him of that. He said, no, no, no. And he had wanted to actually start a Patreon because he didn't have anywhere. He loves to write. And he didn't really have anywhere to put his columns anymore. He didn't feel like, you know, and write them write what he wanted on his own schedule. He's like, well, maybe I should start a writing Patreon, even if it was like a dollar, just to have a place to put it. I'm like, well, if you're doing that, let me digitize some of these things and put them up there on on that for you. And he's like, no, 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 it's a writing only Patreon. I'm like, well, damn. 
let me start my own then <laughs> where we put this footage up and, and I'll show you. Cause like I had, I went to the store shed like there, they were kind of all over the country and there were some in Texas mostly and some in New York and just everywhere. So I brought them, we had this long road trip where we brought them in a U-Haul or whatever. No, it's like a big van kind of thing that he rented. Anyway, we brought them all to LA so that I could be the like caretaker of them. And there was just so much, like the labels got me so excited. I'm like, people have to see this. I'm going to go like, like un- unedited footage of interviews with people that aren't around anymore. You know what I mean? Unedited. Like it means nobody's seen this whole version. It never aired anywhere. And just, just classic shit that I'm like, this should not just be lost forever. So I, I took it on myself to what honestly started was when Julie Strain died and I, I hadn't seen her interview with him and, and forever, like if, if at all, like I, I don't, I feel like I saw it before, but I don't know if I'm just remembering it so well. Cause I've done so much with it at this point, but I, I had to see her interview. I wanted to put it out there when she passed away and it was just amazing. And it looked so good. As I was looking for that, I found like unedited footage from the cast of um, Night of the Living Dead, for example, or like I just found, it turned out to be kind of anticlimactic, but it was the director's cut of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, just things like that, that are just like sitting there. I'm like, fuck, dude, (laughs) like we need to digitize this and see what all these are, because a lot of it's not labeled and and I'm kind of just putting it in and, and it's like a big mystery bag of amazingness i just found like he had a 900 number uh in the in the 90s that i'd always wanted to listen to and i found huge boxes that are like all the audio tapes from his 900 numbers so you can hear what you would have called for 2.99 a minute or whatever you get his rant it's like what i didn't know he had a 900 number and i oh he did <laughs> And I've been, I always search for those because like, those are my favorite ads because like the Corey's had one, Warrant had one. I guess it makes sense for Joe Pop to have one. I got in so much trouble for the Corey hotline. I spent like over $5 calling that shit. (laughs) I was in a lot of trouble, but that's, I digress. (laughs) That's why I never got to call Joe Joe Bob because I was very much banned from 900 numbers. And some people would come to talk to us and we really thought we were going to put out like a physical media a collection of all his old stuff, but it just didn't really work out because no one really knew what was in there. And they're like, we just don't have the, the manpower and the financing or whatever to, to just go through this and hope that it's like what we want to buy. You know what I mean? So I, my job, what I'm doing with the Patreon is to kind of see what is actually in there and like catalog it all I guess so we know what's there so we know what we can do with it physical media wise because right now it's like we say it's his entire collection but is it is there any is there one episode missing who knows we have to digitize it all to find out you know how many hours have you digitized thus far oh gosh I don't know (laughs) how many usable hours I I couldn't say I'd have to go look but a lot of it turned out to be for not like you don't a lot of them are on um antiquated things like not a lot of it's vhs but a lot of it's beta and a lot of it's like one inch tapes which is kind of like a weird film looking thing that i didn't even know existed mm-hmm. so you don't really know what you have on there until you fuck with it and like some of it will be really close to being usable and you mess with it a long time to try to get the sync working or the color a little bit better or whatever it's just some of it doesn't work out so it's like you have to subtract that so it's like hours and hours and hours 
that you put into it, then it's for nothing. So it already feels like it's been about 20,000 hours. The reason why I'm so interested in this, because I feel like archiving is very important, especially in the age of the internet, because I think of the BBC at one point would just tape over shows they already aired. Like, oh, no one's going to care about that. So they just like erased things from existence. And Nick and I at various points through the Cinematheque during the pandemic, we worked on the Cinematheque's archive because they had probably as much, if not more, hours of footage and audio of Q&As since basically the beginning. Like Nick found a Q&A with Vincent Price on, <gasps> on, on really? like a cassette tape. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I think archiving is important because I feel like there's so many like great, you know, actors from the 70s and 80s that Joe Bob got to speak to that are no longer around. Exactly. And it's, yes. It's just great that there's at least a documentation of it because especially in the cult film circuit that a lot of these people just didn't have opportunities other than like Joe Bob or like David Duvall had like a show at one point and things like that. No, it's definitely, it's amazing. Like some of it brings me to tears to like see all these people that aren't with us anymore. It's just, it's beautiful and it needs to be out there. And I'm so glad that I had the chance to just put it there and let people see it. And that's a big part of why Patreon is a thing too, because otherwise it would, I'd have to wait indefinitely until like all this is digitized to maybe then get it on, on physical media. Like, screw that. Like, I'm happy people can see it now. So some of it just makes me so excited. Like we just did the Zachary and Goulardi and stuff like, like, that's just amazing. And, and Zachary especially meant so much to Joe Bob. So to get to see little Joe Bob with his idol, twice i only won and then i found an, an extra one where he was playing nightmare on elm street with them i'm like what so it, it's just like amazing to see it now since joe bob has come back there's actually been a boom of horror hosts and you know even elvira finally got back in the saddle what do you think of all the the horror host or horror host what fucking word is that <laughs> um what do you think of all the horror hosts that have been making comebacks now? Because like Count Gordeval that was in the DC yeah. area, kind of near where Nick and yeah. I live, like is made a I comeback. I love him. We gave him a, a silver bolo because he's done so much. And I just wanted people to, to know about him that that didn't. Um, I think it's amazing. I think there's room for everybody. And anything that gets people excited about horror and makes people feel like you have a friend watching it, then hell yeah, bring it on. Like, I'm glad people are bringing it back. I miss that. Like. I, I, I'm happy to be part of it. If I wasn't, I'd be watching all of it. <laughs> I watch all of it. That's not me. I love Finn. Like I, I love him on Saturdays. I'm glad that we're on Fridays. So I can watch him then. <laughs> now, how does the curation okay. work for Joe Bob and like what movies play? Because the one thing I really like about the programming on there is that it's very varied and it's challenging. Ooh, it's definitely challenging. So, um, hmm. A lot goes into it. There's many factors. So the biggest one is what do we have access to? How long will it stay up? Because like sometimes Shutter can get something really great, but it stays up for a month, you know? And Joe Bob doesn't want to use that because then the, the episode goes down too. So it's like, what can we what can we use? What will be there? What will let us interrupt it? Because that's a whole nother factor. There's some studios that say you can't interrupt our film, which takes out a whole bunch, like a MGM, Lionsgate, they're, they're both like, nah, working on it. I think I'm close, but there's so many titles that are under that, that that we can't use. So from there, it's then, okay, so what do we like? And we have very different tastes in this 
in this little group of, of people behind the scenes. So our director, Austin, is the artsiest motherfucker. <laughs> like he loves the ones like Tetsuo and, and just he's he's the give us all, like if it's up to him, we'd probably air um, like subtitled movies all the time. Like it's like, dude, and I like the cheesy, silly ones, which he hates. So it's like we are constantly butting heads with like trying to make a nice even mix. And Joe Bob kind of doesn't care. He's like, just tell me what we're showing and I'll work with it. <laughs> so we, we kind of just, it's this fight amongst it. So I also then bring in the other factor. I started a like a listal thing or whatever of what the fans like so they could vote so I could sh show them. It's not just my opinion. Like people also want to see this. Like I, I put on like Pinocchio's Revenge. Like I want so bad. <laughs> And so I threw that up there. It didn't get a lot of votes, but that's okay. So I'm okay to, to be outvoted, but I want them to have different perspectives. And I'm glad that we do show the way they talk me into a lot of things is that everything deserves to be viewed once, you know, and if you don't like it, try it out. If we just show the same stuff over and over again that people have seen, we're not really introducing them to new things that, that deserve a chance, you know? So there's not anything that I, actually... There's very few that I've watched <laughs> that I regretted watching, even if I don't ever plan to see them again, ever. So I hope that our audience kind of feels the same. And I hope even if it's something they don't like, that we can make it interesting in between with our little segments. Outside of The Last and Lost Drive-Ins, what are some other projects that you're currently working on? Those take up an awful lot of time, but uh, kind of when anything fun comes up that I, I can work in my schedule, I do. So the most recent thing I did was a uh, famous TNA two, which was Full Moon called me up and said, "Do you want to do this Blake thing that Sybil Danning, who is amazing, who I found a bunch of her interviews on the Lost Drive-In, <laughs> um, do you want to like take over the mantle of hosting this?" And of course, like of course, even though again, like that's something I I would have had to say no to before I started. The, the last drive-in because I would have been too shy and too scared. It's like, it was 10 pages of straight dialogue of me just looking at the camera and saying, blah, 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 which is really hard, even though like I love it. And it's a subject that I care a lot about. And I, I want more people to know about these classes. Like we have screen queens or, or TNA queens and thing. I don't know. These classic women, these classic actresses that they might not be familiar with, but it's really hard for me to just talk. But because of my last driving experience, I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I think I can do it. So that was fun. That's probably not exactly what you asked, but. <laughs> no, that, that's exactly what I was going to ask because I, I remember it's, I remember that back in the day. So it's like, it's, it's kind of amazing that like a lot of the old guard or like the eighties guard is like coming, you know, going back strong, like Charlie Band's still kicking around, like doing oh, full yeah, stuff. Amazing. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of the, the people we talked about in volume two are still around there. It was amazing that some of them are friends now. We talked about like Barbara Crampton and we talked about Linnea Quigley and people like that. And I'm like, holy crap, what a fucking weird world where I'm sitting here with Charlie Van directing me as I talk about my favorite nude scenes in these movies of these people that are my friends. It's like, what? This is a weird, strange dream. <laughs> now, you're also become a regular contributor to Fangoria. How did that come about? So Fangoria did a documentary shutter over the over the pandemic. And I wanted I I, phew, I tried to do the best I could at it. And I made all these notes about what I wanted to say. But when I got there, I just got so camera shy and intimidated, I couldn't really 
say a lot of it. I did my best, but I'm just, I, without like, I, I need like a teleprompter to organize my thoughts. Otherwise I'm just like, it's fun. And I can't really elaborate, but I can write for fucking ever about it. So he read my notes and he was like, these are really good. Do you want to write for me? I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> so that's kind of what happened. I ended up only having like, I think one sentence in that documentary, which is fine. <laughs> But but I got a job for Frangoria for it. What are some of your favorite non-horror films that you enjoy? Ew, is that a thing? There we go. Okay, okay. <laughs> Honestly, I do watch horror like 99% of the time, but uh, Clues up there with like all time of non-horror. What, what else is in there? <laughs> it takes a lot. It has to be something really special for me to really love it if it's not horror. So like the classics, like Clue, Princess Bride, Spaceballs, shit like that. Like that, that, that'll go in there. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Straight up TNA, though, like type, I love like, like ski school and stuff like that. Like the like cheesy TNA comedies that that'll work for me. Now, hot dog movie. <laughs> yeah. Hot dog movie is a masterpiece. Yes. <laughs> See, I, I really love like all the 80s sex comedies or boner jams as people like to refer to them. And I always try to screen them and they never do well. What? That is nuts. See, I just actually got a notice from YouTube saying you need to start your channel back up or we're dropping you as a partner or whatever. I'm like, you know what? I feel like now's the time because I want to talk more about these like TNA things that people have forgotten. So I, that makes me really sad and people need to realize like how classic and how fun these movies were and there's I think there's definitely a place for them and I think there's a place for them now like erotic thrillers need to be a thing again like where all the Shannon Tweed type movies access to hardcore porn like constantly now doesn't mean there's not a place for the art of the erotic thriller or the cheesy TNA comedy if it's well done. I mean, Paul Verhoeven's trying to make that comeback. And I think Adrian Lynn had an erotic thriller that Fox was supposed to put out, but then it's getting dumped on Hulu. So people are trying. I just, I don't feel like they have the heart that they used to. I want somebody to try and mean it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I personally, if you're going to champion um, 80 sex comedies, please do. Because like, I would like to be able to show more of them. I just remember one of my favorites was doing um, Joysticks and Pinball Summer one of my favorite screenings ah, yeah. ever and 80 people showed up what are you kidding me yeah well next you have it let me know and i'm going to promote the crap out of it and tell everyone they have to come so diana <laughs> we're going to take a quick break here but when we come back we're going to do our rewatch and listen you want to stick around for that sure awesome all right we're going to take a quick break but when we return rewatch and listen here on the cinematic void podcast saturday tnt's monster vision in one word Five horrific movies where one word is worth a thousand pictures. TNT Monster Vision's They're Here Terrorphone, Saturday at 8 on TNT. Unbearable suspense keeps you on the edge of an abyss of terror. Take a cult film odyssey into cinemadness with Cinematic Void. Based in Los Angeles, Cinematic Void is a film series that specializes in horror and exploitation films. Currently, we are hosting Cinematic Void Up All Night in the Cinemanus Movie, a monthly virtual screening series, as well as the Cinematic Void Podcast, where we dive deeper into the world of cult cinema. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like what we do, you can support Cinematic Void by joining our Patreon. Until next time, see you in the void. 
Welcome back. It's now time for... On the Cinematic Void Podcast, where we talk about all the things we've been reading, watching, and or listening to. And since Diana is the guest, you get to go first. So Diana, tell us what you've been reading, watching, and or listening to. I'll let y'all go first. I can see how stupid my my answers are compared to yours. All right. Then no one's ever done this. No one... (laughs) no one no one has defaulted the the go first so all right nick you're gonna go first now i can go first and then edit it so that you're first and we'll <laughs> that, you know. that's cheating <laughs> i told you we edited this podcast damn it boiled again <laughs> all right so for reading uh just like last stuff we we just recorded like three days ago jim but uh, so I'm still reading The Invisibles uh, by Grant Morrison. I'm trying to go through all four volumes of, uh, of the graphic novels. So I'm just kind of doing that, trying to read uh, one issue a day, but I'm not really keeping up. Uh, for listening, uh, I've been listening to the Drunk Driver Born Pregnant LP. Uh, Drunk Driver was a 90s, or not 90s, uh, they're a New York City uh, noise rock kind of band, maybe similar to like Jesus Lizard, that sort of stuff except uh, just really grimy, noisy recordings. And I just watched uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Uh, directed by Sidney Pollack. Yeah, I was just happened to be at Erwin Winkler's house and uh, that made me realize I need, to, I need to see They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Um, wow. So yeah, that's it for me. Oh yeah, I, I also I wanted to mention uh, about They Shoot Horses, Don't They? So, so that's a film about... Uh, you know a dance contest where it's kind of an endurance contest where they just keep dancing and dancing for like it's you know by the end of the film it's been like 40 some days uh, and it made me think of the film hands on a hard body uh, the, the, where it's a it's an actual like actual contest that they filmed so it's, i guess it's a documentary I, I haven't actually seen it it's just something i've always wanted to see that's why i'm bringing it up but uh i was trying to think of other films that are about endurance like those types of contests like there's a there's also a documentary called the billboard billboard boys there's a radio contest a while back and uh a camera which you know it was just like a a, you win money or whatever but whoever stayed on a billboard the longest in this like small town somewhere so there was just a bunch of guys across town just sleeping on billboards for like a year you know they're just up there through the snow like whatever but uh, I don't know. Any, any other? Are there any other contests, documentaries, or films that you can think of that are of that nature? I, what <laughs> fucking question are you asking? I don't know if anybody has an answer to that, I'm just I'm trying to make a nice list of these films, you know, on my letterbox or something, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to watch them all. I was hoping so, maybe you could give you know throw me a few recommendations. I've known you for how many fucking years now, and you're going to ask me like recommendations it's on a, like people doing stuff for a long period of time a, to win money. It's a completely reasonable request. I don't know, man. There's probably like ones about people that like, you know, King of Kongs or something like that. Where, well, that's not even, that's competitive. That's not endurance. I don't fucking know, man. This is, this is a genre well, and I, I'm trying to document it. I'm going to compile a list. Well, you, you can be the first one to do it and you can put out your book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Reading wise, I've just started reading Warp. Warped and Faded, The Weird Wednesday and the Birth of the Birth of Agfa book by Lars Nielsen, edited by a good friend of the Void, Kayla Janice. It's basically kind of a history of like Alamo Draft House doing the Weird Wednesdays and all the weird and wonderful movies they played on all the beat up, shitty prints. 
And it's a really kind of great story because it's kind of the backbone of like genre film programming. Obviously there's a lot of people that were doing it too, but it's a good documentation. And like all the people that worked at draft house during that period, it went on to do great things. So it's a really cool book watch. I recently watched censor and I wasn't sure I was going to like it. And I ended up quite digging it. To be honest. Do you know what censor is for either of you? I don't think so. No. It's a it's a new movie. He played Sundance earlier this year, and then Vinegar Syndrome just put it out on Blu-ray. It's basically about a woman that worked um, for the censorship censorship board at during the video nasty era in um, Great Britain, and she discovers a film by a filmmaker that looks like it has her long lost sister in it. That's been her parents want to say is dead and that kind of stuff, and then it just gets really dark. It's kind of like a more dramatic nastier version of the movie evil ed if either of you guys have seen that one that sounds amazing and you you liked it i liked it quite a bit it's like for a newer horror film i thought it's like really accomplished nicely shot it's it's really terrific uh the other stuff i watched was a couple of like i guess later period giallos first one was nothing underneath which has the one of the best scenes i've ever seen in a movie which involves donald pleasance in italy going to a wendy's and going to the salad oh, bar. Yeah. When... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I, I remember as a kid that Wendy's had a salad bar, but in Italy, apparently they have spaghetti there. So Donald Pleasance, who's throwing fucking lettuce on the floor. I mean, I mean, this has nothing to do with the movie, but like this whole sequence and then him complaining, like, I don't eat at places like that. Sits down, has a fucking Wendy's napkin around his, like, collar so he doesn't get spaghetti on it. And they do this scene <laughs> at Wendy's, and this guy's eating, like, a fucking burger and shit. And it's just, like, most surreal thing that, like, it, it felt like a Wendy's ad in the middle of this, like, murder, like, slasher giallo hybrid. And then the other movie I watched was Too Beautiful to Die, which is the alleged sequel to Nothing Underneath, but I think it was just an unrelated movie that got retitled similar plot just no donald pleasance at wendy's and for listen uh, kind of a little over all over the place i've been listening to one step closer the place you know uh, i guess it's how do you describe it nick like melodic hardcore or like indie yeah. rock or something like that yeah melodic hardcore yeah it's really catchy really fast really emotional really good stuff and then on the polar end of the spectrum i've been i listened to the new rick ross record richer than i ever been i don't really nice. listen to many rick ross <laughs> records but like had some good guests. Had some good beats. Pretty enjoyable. Well, y'all sound all smart and stuff, and mine are gonna sound stupid. <laughs> no, it, there's been people that have like given us like everyone always feels intimi intimidated by this. Even Travis <laughs> Stevens, when we had him on here, is like, I don't know, man. No one's gonna care that I watch this documentary on painting. I'm like, Travis, it doesn't matter. It's what you're reading, watching, or listening. Okay, well, see, that is classy. Mine are. I'll just go ahead. So uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff that I have in consideration for next season. So I can't really mention it. So that's been taking up most of my time. But in between that, I just kind of sneak in like I'm watching Dexter, <laughs> like swallowing up the new Dexter series, which is awesome. And I'm also catching up on Yellowstone. <laughs> so that's what I'm watching right now. Yay. Yeah, cool. no i've been wanting to check out the new dexter i just don't have show time so i gotta figure that out oh god it's so worth it like i was kind of mad at how it ended so i'm glad they came back <laughs> uh reading i have two uh biographies i have elvira and charles band actually <laughs> so yeah see i told you you laughed at my my reading 
<laughs> no, I, I, I think I actually want to read both of those books too. So don't, it's not anything. <laughs> I, I like reading um, nonfiction. Like, I like to learn. And these two are people that inspired me a lot. So I want to, I want to hear what they have to say. His is called Confessions of a Puppet Master. So that title alone is like, hell yeah. And listening to, well, it's the holidays. So I'm constantly listening to holiday music, which my favorite, because I love Weezer, is is Christmas with Weezer. <laughs> is there a so whole Christmas Weezer record? Oh, there is. Yes. Oh, yeah? And it's amazing. Okay. I did not that know that. And the kind of Crypt Keeper Christmas album is amazing. It's the <laughs> Christmas album. I'm not awesome. talking. <laughs> no, I'm laughing Very because cool. it's amazing, like in a, in a good way. Yeah. Because like... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, the, the shit that we listen to, I'm, I'm sure most people come to the end of the podcast and like, the fuck are they even talking about? Like, I don't <laughs> care about some fucking weirdo hardcore band I've never heard of. But just talk about fucking movies. <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of like, you know, the Joe Bob syndrome. You, you introduce people to stuff they don't know by mentioning it. So now I'll have to check out Censor. <laughs> yeah. No, Censor is actually really good. I really enjoyed it. And I, I didn't think I was. So anyway, Diana, I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Cinematic Void Podcast. I hope you enjoyed your time on here. I did indeed. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So that wraps up this episode. And until next time, see you in the void. Attention, please. A $50 reward will be paid for information leading to the arrest and conviction of anyone caught stealing our speakers. If you accidentally pull a speaker loose, don't worry. Just turn it in. There is no charge, and we'd appreciate it.